Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Mass Lives Red Sox podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Chris Cotillo. I know we've had uh, a lot of Red Sox players, managers, and coaches in the last few weeks, so I hate to disappoint you by uh, dipping a little lower on the Red Sox totem pole tonight, but we do have, uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while, two of my good friends on the beat. We have uh, MLB.com's Ian Brown and Boston Sports Journal Sean McAdam on what has suddenly turned into a pretty busy day for the Red Sox and the AL East, and uh, with a lot going on, I thought it'd be good to to bring these guys on to talk about it so the big news that just went down probably 10-15 minutes before we jumped on here Corey Kluber Red Sox target who lives in Massachusetts in the winter is going to the Yankees and based on my Twitter mentions fans are really not happy about it he's reportedly signing a one-year 11 million dollar deal to go there um no, he was obviously a guy the Red Sox were targeting, but it seems like, you know, the Yankees, uh, for a few different reasons, which we'll get into, were able to make that deal tonight. I actually want to start with Sean, because Sean has been uh, kind of a voice of reason on the Kluber stuff from the beginning and, and didn't uh, wasn't as, I guess, uh, obsessed with the idea as a lot of other people have been. So, uh, Sean, what's your instant reaction to this happening tonight? Well, Look, I, I think it would have been a worthwhile investment for the Red Sox. My only issue along the way was that you need a lot more than Corey Kluber for that rotation. You're looking for volume, given that so many of the guys coming back to the rotation next year are going to be either coming off significant injuries, having missed the entire year, or have a history of injuries, whether you're talking about Sale or Rodriguez or Evaldi. So they need somebody that they can pretty much count on to give them 160-plus innings. Corey Kluber is unlikely to be that guy, having made yep. just eight starts in the last two years. We all know he had a history of uh, physical issues with Cleveland and Texas, shoulder, uh, some other stuff that, that got in the way. So he's by no means a sure thing. Uh, the Yankees have their own issues with their rotation. Once you get behind uh, Garrett Cole and then a big step down for Montgomery, uh, they, too, have innings to fill, but uh, I think when you have somebody, the reputation and uh, resume of Garrett Cole as your number one, it's a little easier to fill in the rest of that rotation. Yeah. Ian, were you surprised at how much he got? At one year for 11, I think it was probably a little more than I thought he would get on the open market. Yeah, not really, just because there were so many teams that looked at him the other day, and it seemed like his, his mark was moving, but... Uh... I, th I thought this was the guy the Red Sox were going to kind of target. You know, it would have been a risk, but, you know, sometimes you have to take a risk. And I and I can understand, uh, you know, a lot of what you're reading on Twitter after this move goes down isn't very rational. But you, know, you can understand from the fans' perspective because they've been waiting the last couple of years, you know, for High and Bloom. He's obviously looking at the big picture to kind of do something that says we're trying to we're trying to win now. We're trying to at least get to the playoffs now. And they haven't seen a lot of that, you know, the two off seasons since he's been – you know, the, the chief baseball uh, operations, whatever, chief baseball officer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can see why, why fans are upset. They want they want, they want want to move to get them excited about this team. And to be honest, the Red Sox need a good move right now to get people excited about this team. I mean, they did one thing by bringing Alex Cora back. I think a lot of people are in favor of that. Then mm -hmm. that was one thing that helped. But I think they got to do something on the hot stove here beyond, uh, you know, Hunter Renfro. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
everybody thought that Kluber was going to be that guy. As we mentioned, he makes his home in Winchester master in the off season because his wife's from there. I think the big sticking point with him is Eric Cressy, who is the name. A lot of people in baseball circles do know, but fans might not. He's like a, a training conditioning guru who actually was out of Hudson, Massachusetts for, um, you know, a few years ago, he's expanded to Florida. I think he does most of his stuff out of there now, but he has been tracking uh, Corey Kluber's shoulder rehab this whole time. He's been had intimate knowledge of everything. He works closely with him and Kluber's worked with him dating back to when he was in Hudson. Uh, I think he's still trained at the Hudson facility because I guess he was in Massachusetts during the winter, but he works for the Yankees now and kind of a, um, a big role on their training staff. So having that guy there, I think is a huge advantage. Ian, that point that you just made, I think is um, kind of the overriding theme of what we've seen from the Red Sox this winter, like Hunter Renfro, Matt Andres, those moves have gotten done obviously but a lot of swings and misses going back to Charlie Morton, um, Sugano, uh, Kim, uh, Canely, all these guys that they've been in on. And I think, you know, the running joke when we see Twitter is they're interested in everybody and not making the moves um, from a fan's perspective. Like you said, I, I get it. It's frustrating, but as, as the voice of reasons that we're supposed to be on the beat, I think, uh, which we often aren't. Um, don't you think it's 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 a little too early? I, I think don't you think just the calendar is making people panic when really if you look at the market, it's really like December first based on how many guys are still out there. Yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead again. I was just gonna say yeah because um, you know it's mid January now and usually this is the time you're saying oh there's a month before spring training you better get your hot stove moves done. Usually teams have done this by by Christmas, but obviously this this year is different for a lot of reasons. Uh, pandemic the biggest among them and the, the money teams lost last year. So they've been reluctant to spend money until they see what their budgets are. But yeah, there's still a lot of players left on that player pool out there, both free agency and I would assume via trade also. So I think that, you know, fans need to evaluate the team once they're in spring training, once they're in the thickest spring training, rather than just saying, okay, it's January 15th and, and the off season is over. We remember the, uh, when the Stanton move was made by the Yankees, everybody, pretty much wrote that season off and the Red Sox won the world series that year. Not that that's right. going to happen this year. Mm. I think people need to keep in mind that there's still a lot of guys out there. John, do you have yeah, something there, on that? There, there, there certainly is still time. Um, and I know that we've seen this pattern the last couple of off seasons where a few years ago, we went into the start of spring training without JD Martinez Bryce Harper and Manny Machado uh, having signed contracts. So we've, we've seen this coming for the last couple of years. We've seen a more cautious approach taken by teams. Uh, we've seen clubs being willing to wait out the market and perhaps uh, use the calendar to force the players and their agents to accept less. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it but you can also see it from the fan standpoint. They don't care about, oh, they were in on or they were the, you know, they were second on Canely or any of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, this, this is not about, you know, good effort, good try. This is about what have you done to improve the roster? And while there still is a month to go before what we expect to be the start of spring training, the fact is that the roster has not improved greatly. They have a platoon outfielder and uh, a, a rule five pick and a swingman to mm. show for an off season that began in the last few days of October. And 
if I were the Red Sox, I'd be very concerned, not just at the frustration that exists among the fans, but how little the team is being talked about as a result of no activity. I can't yeah. remember a time, uh, even coming off some last place finishes as they've had in the last 10 years, where there has been seemingly less interest and less talk devoted to what the Red Sox are up to than I have seen this winter. You, you saw those Bruins ratings last night, Sean. Even yeah, <laughs> yeah, their best number in like seven years, and people are are excited about them. If the Celtics ever get back on the court, uh, you know they're off to a pretty good start. I, I mean, it's interesting because the Patriots, for a change, are not part of the January landscape here, and it kind of there, there is this big vacuum that the Red Sox could step into if they did something. And I'm not proposing that you know they try to win the winter and have all these big free agent splashes because we've seen where that's gotten them in the past but uh as i said uh were i the red sox I i'd be concerned about not only how little has has gone on but how little interest is being displayed locally and you wrote the other day that the red sox don't seem to have a clear path on what they're doing this offseason between you know talking about wanting to add trying to you know as much as they say want to contend in 2021 as unrealistic as that's been. And then obviously the last couple of weeks, we've seen the Ben attendee rumors, which to me don't make a ton of sense. We'll get into that. But um, do you think that's part of the problem that, you know, these talking points about contending uh, in reality, what you hear about them is that they're trading, you're thinking about trading away a homegrown favorite type well, player. I, I mean, I, you know, some of that, I think Ben attendee is a somewhat popular player, uh, particularly if we're to generalize with female fans, there's some sort of star appeal there, which can't be completely discounted. But I think ultimately they're frustrated that there haven't been upgrades. And, and there has been also this scattershot approach at times. Uh, well, we're thinking about moving Andrew Benatendi because $6.6 million does not seem like accurate reflection of his value in 2021. Mm -hmm. But we're also in touch with the agent for DJ LeMahieu because he's 32 and he's looking for a five-year deal. Well, you can't do both of those things. It's difficult to both try to contend in the short term and keep the big picture in mind. But there are times when some of the people they're linked to are counterintuitive. You know, if you're really interested in A, you shouldn't be also interested in B, and yet the Red Sox have decided internally that they're going to be interested in everyone, and the payoff is they haven't gotten anyone. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Also, someone brought this up to me on Twitter, but uh, interested, it gets thrown around, you know, by us, by other reporters a lot, because that's usually what you know, either agent speak or front office speak is where they can give us an answer. And there that qualifies as news. We don't know exactly how deep, you know, things are going and, and today. And, and in a lot of cases, it behooves them to overstate the interest on the other side. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, an agent wants to give the perception that as many teams as possible are bidding for his client and a team perhaps looking to trade someone might be doing the same, saying, oh, we're being knocked over by offers we're getting for this guy because you create this market and interest when other teams find out that other, you know, that there are rival clubs bidding for this player.
Yeah, and we've heard one guy we've heard about a lot of interest in this week, interest at being the buzzword of the offseason is Ben Intendi. And just a basic yes or no for you, would you make this move? I think you tweeted something that it seems weird that they want to sell low and, and on a high upside guy. So I kind of feel like I know where yeah. you you side on this one. I mean, the only way I could, the only reason I could see that they would trade him is if Heim Bloom is looking at it and saying there's clearly somebody on that free agent market, an outfielder who he wants to get, and he's pretty sure he can get. And then so he trades Ben Benintendi, spins him off for whatever assets he can get. Uh, certainly not going to be an A-level prospect. Maybe you can get a B-level prospect, maybe some sort of major league ready pitcher. And then you go, I don't know, with the Azuna. Uh, bring Jackie Bradley Jr. back. You know, I yep. don't know what they have in mind, but there's got Mike, Michael Brantley is another one there. Yeah, Michael Brantley is a good one. I mean, if they're if they're trading Andrew Benintendi, uh, you know, at least if you if you believe the rumors, um, they they want to trade him, then they have to have some sort of there has to be like a another side of the coin here, and then we're going to see why they they want to move because on you know I don't, in a vacuum it doesn't make sense to trade him. You know, six point six million isn't a lot for somebody who was you know a really good player just just two years ago. And it's hard for me. He's 26 years old. He, they, they've got to be able to figure out how to get more out of him. I, it's hard for me to believe that he, all of a sudden he's lost it and you can't get him back. I, I agree almost across the board with you, Ian. Um, but I would add one caveat that uh, speaking to one executive in the game this week, he reminded me that while 6.6 .6 million is a relatively modest salary up against 2019 uh, standards that the economic changes the game has seen, the uncertainty about fans in the stands, everybody belt tightening, looking to get absolute complete value for every dollar spent. 6.6 .6 million is not nothing. Um, and I'm not suggesting that the Red Sox are in a position where they can't afford a player under $7 million. Clearly they can. Um, but I think it's the, this, this, this new economic reckoning has forced teams to look a little closer at exactly what they're paying their current players. And I, I think your scenario is spot on. They have an idea that they can either make another move, whether it be a trade or free agent, get an outfielder they like better and still come out of it with something that they got in exchange for Benintendi. But it, at the end of the day, it does seem a weird time to try to move a guy coming off an injury-shortened, lousy season. I mean, you know, he played two and a half weeks and had four hits. Now, that's not exactly a great sample size. That's, that's Ian Brown in the media game stuff right there. Yeah, oh, right. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, the, the timing of it is curious from baseball standpoint. And I brought this up, Sean, to you on the phone the other day, uh, just, you know, talking, obviously not on a podcast, but it would, if this was, if he hadn't signed that two year deal, I'll open this up to both of you at 6.6 .6 million after that year, would we have talked about him as a non-tender candidate before that deadline? Cause I don't think it's impossible there. Yeah. It's about what they were going to have to pay Martin Perez as part of their the option. I think he was six, five. Um, if they had brought him back this year. And we all thought that was a slam dunk yes yeah. for most of last season. And they walked away from it. And tellingly, although Perez has some interest from San Diego due to his uh, uh, long history with A.J. Preller, the GM there, they were both together in Texas and 
Preller was uh, instrumental in scouting him and signing him. Um, but, you know, I think we all thought, like, that to me was the Perez moment was kind of a like, oh, uh, things have changed. You know? <laughs> like, where that would, you know, for a team desperate for pitching, here's a guy who pitched relatively well. He's not a ace by any stretch, but he's yeah. a solid, like, number four guy that showed he could pitch at Fenway kept them in the game 80% of the time, uh, not a bad investment at 6.5, and they had no problem walking away from that. That, to me, should have signaled that, you know, that that the economic landscape was undergoing an upheaval. And and San Diego turning down Mitch Moreland to 3 million after giving two prospects up for him a month right. before, I thought was another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree uh, with what Sean says, that the market has changed so much, and the, yeah, thinking all along just getting back to the Perez thing I mean I was thinking all along that that was a no-brainer he was coming back yeah we just didn't realize we're just too close to it sometimes just you know how much things were going to change but as far as Benintendi I don't think they would I think they would have tendered him just because they knew that they would have been able to get um something uh, in a trade for him they, they would have I, I, I agree there, there would have there would have been some value there that they could have recouped uh, I, I want to go kind of rapid fire because I don't want to keep you guys for too long, but there's, I think, four main areas where the Red Sox are looking, starting pitching, bullpen, second base slash utility guy, and outfield. Um, I wrote in my notes column that I'm contractually obligated to uh, promote you know, today about a bunch of the different guys that we're targeting, and, and there's a, a ton. Obviously, Kluber's name was in the starting section, so he doesn't apply anymore, but um, – on all those markets. So I'll open it up and give you each a chance and then I'll give my, my name. The we'll start with starting pitchers Ian, start with you, the starting pitcher now with Kluber off the board, because he might've been your answer that the Red Sox should sign. Tanaka. Okay. Why is that? Because he's a guy who's shown the ability to win. He can give you innings. And if he's healthy, he's a pretty good pitcher. I mean, he's pretty, uh, I mean, he's been better than Kluber just because he's been on, been able to be on the mound the last couple of years. I mean, even been available Sean I'm gonna say Jake Odorizzi uh, a guy that uh, while he was not um, durable in 2020 that was an aberration for him uh, in the previous I think four seasons he had averaged 160 innings he had made 30 starts uh, 29 or more starts I think in those four years uh, he's just uh, I think coming up on 30 years old there's a history uh, with Tampa, obviously, and Bloom. Uh, but I just think he's a solid number three guy who can eat up innings. And as I said, that's a that should be their primary uh, focus in looking for pitching. Um, that once you get Rodriguez and Sale back, uh, you have to have somebody you know can take the ball every fifth day. And until this past season, Odorizzi proved to be that guy. Yeah, he's actually my pick, too. I just think for what you're going to have to pay him, which would be maybe three for 39, maybe three for 42, it's worth it. Um, you know, I think he, he he's a guy that can come and eat innings. Heimblum knows him as well as anybody, so so that's also my pick. Uh, for second base, obviously, there's a ton of guys out there, um, whether they go for a utility guy. They're in on a bunch of those guys, Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, um, maybe Profar in the utility types for regular second baseman. Um, D, uh, it goes by D strange Gordon, but the artist formerly known as D Gordon, um, is one option. I, I know he plays a little outfield too. Um, or I think he was a full outfielder in, in Seattle. I could be wrong. Um, 
you have Tommy Lastella, Colton Wong, Cesar Hernandez, uh, Jonathan Scope. So there's a ton of guys out there. Sean, who would you take uh, for the second base pick? Well, I, I think you have to answer this against the backdrop of what else is being done. If yeah. you're looking for somebody that can uh, contribute there and also contribute elsewhere, I love Profar as a guy who can play the outfield and infield and a switch hitter. Um, we all know how important versatility and utility are in today's game and that would be a nice addition if you're looking for a more traditional everyday guy that might free you up to uh, move Chavis or platoon Chavis in the outfield if you move Benintendi and I like Colton Wong as an everyday solution yeah like Marcus Semyon I don't know you know you saw those rumors out there the other day obviously he's a shortstop so you might have to pay him a little more uh, you know, to convince him to make the position switch. But you know, that would be a high upside move. I mean, this is a guy who had a bad year last year, like a lot of people did, but he's in the MVP race uh, two years ago. And I think this is a, a move that would get the fans a little bit excited to, to show that they're making an effort here. But other, uh, other than that, I also really like Colton Wong. Yeah, I, uh, I heard, spoke to somebody today who said that they think that Semyon wants to stick at shortstop. So uh, that might be obviously an impediment to a deal because they're not moving Xander Bogarts for Marcus Semien anytime soon. Now my guy, or I guess I'll go with two at that spot. Marwin Gonzalez to me, um, I reported today that they were in on him. I think, you know, he is a guy, obviously the Alex score familiarity from Houston and a guy that they think can play first base potentially as a compliment to Dahlbeck. I think they are going to add either a left-handed hitter or a switch hitter at first, and he would fit that bill. Um, and a guy, you know, I think Wong would be a great fit. I think all those guys could really fit for traditional second baseman. But uh, Scope is a guy that I thought was going to be a star when he was in Baltimore. And it seems like he's just kind of uh, bounced around a little bit. Milwaukee, I think, and, and Detroit last year. But a guy with a lot of upside, with, I think they could bring in there. Relief targets is next. I think there's a lot of guys, you know, obviously that are still out there. You look at the list and it's a very, very long list and guys who are going to get um, – you know, one year or minor league deals. We saw Hendricks get a mega deal behind him. Brad Hand, uh, Joaquin Soria, Ken Giles, Sean Doolittle are some of the guys the Red Sox are in on. Giles missing next year due to Tommy John, but still they're definitely Alex Colomay and other who they're in on. Ian, your pick for uh, the Red Sox uh, relief edition. Who are the top five still out there? Give me, give me <laughs> a choice on this one. I'm going to keep track of this market just because there's been so much movement the last few days. Colomay, Hand, Yates, uh, Soria probably is in that mix. Yeah. Um, there's four. You, you want like, to pick some like of those Yates. guys? I, mean, I think Yates would be a good move. Um, Hand, I woke up this morning and thought that somebody had tweeted that he had gone to the Mets, but I guess that was right. a, a fake Twitter or, or somebody. I mean, he looked good, but you wonder, uh, you know, how much is he going to cost? He'd be obviously that'd be a great coup if they can get uh, they can get Brad Hand, but I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that it's Yates, that it ends up being Yates. And he's, according to a report tonight, starting uh, coming close to a decision. I guess he's he's uh, on the verge. So we'll see if they they land him or uh, lose out on another one. Sean? Well, I was a big uh, Archie Bradley guy, but someone else in particular <laughs> picked him up over the last couple of days. So he's off the pitching board. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say Colome as a guy who has closing experience, uh, but is also set up. Um, probably not going to cost you a ton. Um, he had a big deal that uh, got declined in Chicago, but I think he'd have to take way less than $10 million on a one-year deal. 
Uh, you could either have them in the eighth, still go get a more traditional closer, or if you wanted to keep Barnes in the setup role, you could have column A close. You don't have a long-term commitment there. They clearly don't want to do that, uh, particularly before they're ready to win. So to me, he's a nice stop. Yeah, I like column A. I'm going to go with uh, one option that I mentioned, one guy that's a, a little off the board, but a familiar name. Uh, Soria is has quietly pitched very well everywhere he goes. I don't yep. know exactly where he stacks up stat cast wise. I think he's like 35 or 36. And I would have guessed yeah, he is. And he, and he doesn't throw hard. But he, he's always 91, 92. Doesn't, you know, it's like, he, yeah, he hasn't lost. He doesn't have a great fastball, but he hasn't lost what he had either. And he, right. and he consistently gets guys out. I think he's, uh, if you were to ask me, he is 45 and has played for 17 teams at this point, but he actually has posted numbers right. everywhere he's, he's gone. My guy off the board, and this seem, might seem a little ridiculous, but considering this market, considering what he might get, I think they should look into bringing Brandon Workman back. I mean, there's, there's really no downside to that. If it's a you know one-year low-dollar low deal or minor league deal, something like that, I mean, he was obviously very – he was here his whole career before that trade imploded in Philly, depressed his value heading into free agency, but that's kind of a why-not type situation to me. Yeah, it, it, he'd be inexpensive. Uh, he probably would like to come back here. Um, it, you know, they could probably get him for a few million dollars uh, with some incentive, so that wouldn't cost anyone. Talk, and talk about somebody's market who dropped from one uh, yeah. free agent last offseason, how much money he would have got. Oh, I know. I mean, definitely two or three years. And um, it, it, a pandemic and then an implosion over a few outings in Philly cost him a lot of money. Uh, we'll, we'll end with the outfield because, obviously, that mix is uh, probably the most in flux out of all these spots. Renfro is in. Right now you have Benatendi, Renfro, and Verdugo. Uh Jackie Bradley still out there. Ben Attendee might be on the move. Uh, Sean, your outfield pick for the Red Sox. Um, I'd like Bradley to come back, uh, but given that Ben Attendee kind of has one foot out the door here, at least as far as the Red Sox are concerned, yeah. um, you're going to need somebody to replace him. So, it, you know, uh, I know this gets them back into the left-handed hole again, but I think Bradley and Brantley would be a pretty good combination um, with Renfro able to... Uh, spell Brantley and left occasionally play right with Bradley sitting and then uh, Verdugo moving over to center. So uh, I would do short-term deals for both Brantley and Bradley, maybe you know, two years or, you know, uh, maybe somebody like Brantley getting up there, you could get him a year and an option, but I think those would both be solid moves. Yeah. I like those. I like those moves too, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with Azuna. And all his, all his power, you know, you trade Benintendi and you replace him with Azuna and you got, uh, you know, all of a sudden you got a pretty good power hitting outfield with Azuna and Verdugo and uh, Renfro there. And probably going to still need to add another outfielder uh, beyond that. Yeah, I was going to go with Azuna too. I mean, it's going to cost a lot. He's he's not a qualifying offer guy though, right? No. Well, so that uh, probably No, be. he can't be. He was qualified last yeah, year. So I thought. So, I mean, that's, that's the type of guy – if you want excitement, he's one of the more exciting players left on the board. And when JD leaves, if he if he's still around, slides to DH, and I think that does fit well. We'll end with this. Uh, I'll give mine, but I want you guys to have your chance of uh, your bold prediction of of just a move you think is going to happen. Uh, Sean, I know that you are pretty much 100% on the fact that Ben Attendee will be traded, so pick, pick something other than that. But um, uh, and we'll go with you first. 
I need him. No, let, let Sean go first. I got to think. All about right, it. So you're going to copy his answer. <laughs> All right, uh, they they missed out on one Massachusetts guy, but I think they will eventually get another. I think Rich Hill uh, comes back and signs a deal with the Red Sox. Um, the Yankees had some interest there. Whether they that is um, closed off now that they have Kluber uh, and they want to get somebody a little younger and maybe more durable, but I think Hill would be a nice back end guy. Um, if you can keep him healthy, when he's healthy, he's shown that he can still be uh, a very good starter. Um, terrific guy, as all three of us know. So uh, maybe I'm uh, leading with my heart there, but uh, I think Rich Hill comes back to Boston for his third stint with the Reds. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the one of the three of us, as I uh, by far the youngest, I'll point out, as always, that uh, has never covered Rich Hill on the beat for as many stints with the Red Sox. So I'm not biased how there. green you are. But uh, he, you know, he uh, does pitching wise, pitching wise, sound like a great fit. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that'll be a good one. Ian, I'm going to go with another sentimental one, but not uh, Rich. I'm going to say that John Lester comes back and uh, I just don't see it with the Cubs. They're obviously not going to. It seems like they're going to be selling and they're not going to be. I think the Red Sox are going to be closer to being a contender maybe this year than the Cubs when the offseason, by the time the offseason is done. So I say get John Lester to fill out your starting rotation. Let him uh, end his career where he started it. If I gave you guys more picks, you'd go sentimental and you'd they'd, uh, trade for Daniel Bard and Andrew Miller. They, <laughs> Pedro would come out of retirement. Mike Lowell, all your favorite guys to cover would be, be right back here. Mine, I am going to make uh, two predictions. One, I think they're going to sign Odorizzi. I think that that just fits too well. Like I said, something three for 39, three for 42. Just get it done. They can jump the market. Uh, you know, now that they know where Kluber's going, don't have to wait for Bauer because they're not in on him. Just get that deal done. I think that would go a long way with with fan frustrations. My other one is something that I've gotten a couple inklings of in the last couple weeks. I haven't written it yet. So um, I think if the bottom falls out of this George Springer market and they feel like, and he is unsigned into spring training, which it feels like the Mets aren't going there. The Blue Jays are a lot of talk and not a lot of uh, action, you know, like another team we know. If the bottom really falls out of that, I think they'll legitimately consider whether it's worth giving up the second-round pick for him. He might be the one exception to that rule there. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is worth the uh, – he has the talent of somebody to give up a, a second-round pick for. And, uh, you know, that could expl- – you know, that would justify whether – Cheaping out on some of these other guys if they go out and get George Springer. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he he solves a ton of problems. He gives you uh, an above average uh, defender and center. I don't think he's equal to Bradley, but he's good. But more importantly, uh, two other things: a he's a terrific leadoff option, so you don't have to worry about uh, in the event that Benintendi somehow stayed and yet put him there, and he's not crazy about it. Verdugo. I think has made it well known that while he'll do it, he would prefer to hit lower. Um, so takes care of your leadoff guy. And as we know, Springer has shown himself to be a fabulous October player. He's had a ton of experience on the big stage with Houston the last four years. Um, so you don't have to worry about how, uh, presumably if someone can do that in the big moment in October, then playing in Boston with expectations would not be anything that would rattle him. Of course, he's got New England background, having gone to UConn. 
and he Alex Cora has uh there are some damaged relationships from all the fallout of the Astra scandal that's not one of them uh Alex has said that he communicates with Springer pretty frequently so um that won't be an issue so that's Sean McAdam and Ian Brown, two longtime veterans of the Red Sox beat. Thank you guys. Say for that one on. more time. Go ahead. Two two <laughs> long, 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 long time veterans of the Red Sox beat. Thanks, guys. <laughs>